every time I would have one of those choices to make, I would think, which choice is going to make me feel the way that I want to feel? And then I'd try my best to choose that. Please note this episode contains potentially triggering topics such as domestic violence and abuse. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I am Stephanie Zamora and today we have Lindsay Nicole with us and Lindsay has an incredible story of coming back from divorce, depression, bankruptcy and an autism diagnosis for her son. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love if you could start by just sharing a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Yeah, I am um, currently working on, well, I wrote a book, so that's kind of my journey culminated in writing a book and wanting to share a lot of the, I think it's the things that I used, that I was telling myself to kind of get me through the story. So I wrote a book, it's called Choose Joy, and it's really about standing in how to find the center, how to find your calm in the midst of a storm. So, um, and I think we always need that because there's always things, and especially in the world right now in 2020, we've got all these things that are pulling on our attention and making us feel like we're trying to like stop a wave from happening and you just feel like you're getting overtaken, but there's a way to kind of float. There's a way to find the calm in the middle of the storm. And yeah. that's what the, my, my, that's kind of where my journey took me. And that's what I created with my book. And I'm um, working on speaking as well to autism parents and helping them through their journey to find their inner peace um, in the midst of the challenge of a diagnosis. Awesome. I love all of that so much. Well, take us back to the beginning of your story. So what, who were you? What was your life like before the divorce? And kind of take us through all of that. Well, I met my husband when I was working for this amazing company. So when I graduated from college, I had this idea that I wanted to tour. I had one word. It was like the one word that to guide myself. And it took a year to find a job. And there was kind of a, a pro this whole process could have happened with, with finding that job too. Um, but I ended up working with the breast cancer, three-day walks, multi-day AIDS rides, and people would raise money and just have this three-day experience where they'd walk 60 miles over three days. And we would go across the country and um, just have these amazing events. So that's the setting in which I met the man who would become my husband. And he asked me out one day, we went out, and I remember that it was like by the ocean, the sun was setting and the moon was rising and it was perfect. And I was like, oh, the kiss is coming, right? I was like, oh, it's gonna happen. And then I heard something and it said, he's not for you. And I was like, what is that? Like, what is that voice? But I was like, this moment right now, all of, that's for me. So I kissed him and it just kind of like, it went from there where I, I always had that kind of inner knowing that little inkling in the back of my head, but we moved in together within a year. I didn't think that signing the lease was going to be like a year long commitment. It was 22 or something. So I just, that didn't even cross my mind. So, and then we lost our jobs at the same time. And there was a little, a period of time of a few years where stuff just kind of started to happen. And my way of making it through that, this was still before we were married, was like, well, if we made it through this, we can make it through anything. So that's kind of the basis and the foundation of our relationship was kind of a survival mechanism almost. It wasn't super joyful from the beginning. It wasn't even super supportive from the beginning. But at 28, I didn't want to start over. 
Um, I wanted to be married. I wanted a family. So we did that. We kind of followed. You've been together for five years. We got married. You have a family. You have the house. And that's, that's where we were. Yeah. Did that voice get louder as time went on or was it always kind of the same? It was always the same. It never said, don't marry him. It didn't tell me what to do. It just said, he's not for you. So I knew it. And there was a couple times that we almost broke up, but I kind of, I felt like I'm smart and I'm capable and I can make it through this. And so I tried really, really hard. I tried to ignore that voice, but there was a part of me that kind of always, I, I knew because it was, it was a different kind of a voice. It was a knowing. It wasn't just, it wasn't just an everyday thing. It was, it was like that different, that different thing going on. Totally. That's so relatable to me, especially I call that the simple truth. It's just this truth that you hear, you think, and you know, it's different and you can't really confirm it or deny it. It just is. Yeah. And it's also very relatable that whole you're in a relationship, it's checking enough boxes and it feels really hard to start over or do something different. And you're just kind of like rooted and in this groove, this trajectory, and it's kind of hard to get yourself out of that. So I, I totally relate to that personally. Tell us a little bit about your marriage and how everything unfolded. So when we got married, it was, you know, it was it was good for a while and there was a lot of distractions. There was a lot of stuff going on. He would travel and would be gone about five days a week. So when he came back into town, I realized after a long time that I would kind of prepare, kind of get this clenched feeling when he would come into town because our weekends together were not pleasant. They weren't fun. A general ride to Costco would go something like, you know, strapping the baby in to the car seats. And then he'd just be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing's wrong. And by the time we got to Costco, I was screaming at him. And he's like, see, I told you. I told you you're mad. I told you you're angry. And I was like, you were at me for 10 minutes straight or 20 minutes straight or 30 minutes straight. Of course I'm angry now. So it got to be this weird experience. It's like I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It felt very, yeah, very confusing. And we went to therapy. We, we did counseling. I think three of those hours were some of the worst of my life because it's like the abuse, that emotional abuse was witnessed. And it was tricky because most of our relating was kind of on the, the emotional abuse side where I just started to feel like I wasn't worthy, like nothing I said mattered. Like every time we had a conversation, it was about what I did wrong. And then again, I was like, oh, I can do this. If, if your reactions require me to change, I can change. I can try harder. I can remember all the things that you've listed for me to do. And I kept trying and trying and trying and nothing eased the situation, nothing changed. And after years of that, I just got to the point of hopelessness. One key moment that I remember is walking across my kitchen and just freezing. Like I literally became a statue because he was just constantly at me with the criticism. And that was a moment that I was like, normal people don't just stop moving. You know, I'm watching my child eat his Cheerios and my husband is gently washing tomatoes in the sink. And I'm like, if you're gentle with the tomatoes, why can't you be gentle with me? And then as soon as I had like that moment of peace and rest in between, he was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, so <laughs> yeah. those were, those were kind of the moments that I was like, something's going on and I can't put my finger on it. 
And then with that inner knowing that I had from a long time back, it's like, I could see that it was all going to come together. It wasn't going to be forever, but it was super challenging because the uncertainty was just like, I can deal with this. I can't deal with the uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the process like for you to really make the decision to leave? And, and how did that go? I think I, I started self-inquiry. I journal a lot. So I was journaling. He didn't like me to write. I'm a writer and I didn't write for 10 years when I wow. was with him. So um, I think he found a journal once and he didn't like what he saw. So <laughs> I was just like, okay, we're not going to have that fight. <laughs> but I started like the self-inquiry. I started asking questions and I was like, should I stay? Should I go? I was taking off the covers of books that were like literally titled that, but I, I still couldn't find the answer because I didn't know. People are like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. So every question that I had landed and I don't know, it gave me no direction until I, I just kept at it. Cause I was like, I need to figure out what I'm doing. I started to observe more and started to fight less. So I just kind of listened and was like, that's not true. But instead of saying it, I just said it to myself <laughs> and I just didn't say anything. And eventually I landed on what don't you want? And I was like, I don't want to fight anymore. And this was all internal work. I don't want to fight anymore. So when I found out what I didn't want, I could figure out what I did want. Well, that means that I want peace. That means that I want to know joy. That means that I was like literally trying to put happy faces and sad faces on days so I could track when I was even happy and when I wasn't because I didn't know. I was in so much chaos that I just couldn't remember when I was happy last. And when I got to be about 80% bad and 20 or 20% good, 80% bad, I was like, how low do I want to get, you know? But that still wasn't the catalyst for me to change anything which is strange, but, um, just those, those little things started to add up to allow me to make, make the next yeah. move. Was there any particular, and maybe this came later, but any particular rock bottom moment for you? There was a jumping off the cliff moment before the rock bottom. So yeah, just, the, <laughs> yeah, the jumping off the cliff, that was mother's day morning, 2012. And I'm standing next to my baby's crib. I think we'd fought until three o'clock in the morning the night before wow. because he would just, that was his pattern. Just keep you up, keep you up, keep you up and defensive and all of that. And then just because you go to bed at three doesn't mean that the baby doesn't wake up at 630 in the morning. <laughs> so I'm up with the baby and I knew I wasn't going to be getting a gift. I had, he hadn't remembered birthdays. Those things weren't important to him, but I knew I was a good mom and I knew I wanted three words. Happy mother's day seemed very simple, seemed very doable. I knew I was worthy of that. And he came in and the way his feet hit the ground, I knew he wanted to fight. And he just started and I was like, I'm done. And the words kind of came out before I even thought about him. I'm done. And he's like, what do you mean by that? I couldn't answer him. Honestly, I didn't even know what I meant by them, but they felt really true. And so that day is the day that I left. I moved in with my mom. I faced that uncertainty. And it felt like, it felt like again, a calmness to it. It wasn't the crazy thoughts that I've been having or the upset. It was just like, I'm done. And it felt solid. So I didn't, I didn't try to reel it back in. I didn't try to fix it. And when he was like, what do you mean by that? I didn't answer him for a couple hours. When he said, do you want divorce? I was like, I didn't even know if that was true 
but he needed something. So I was like, okay, yeah. Um, but what I really wanted was a healthy marriage. And I knew underlying, I knew I wasn't going to have it with him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious from my own experience and also clients that I've worked with and hearing other people's stories, what your relationship was with your mom and your family at the time. I know for me, there were a lot of times in bad relationships where I kept it so close to my heart that it was like a shocker <laughs> when I ended it and finally got myself out. And that made it even harder to leave because I didn't have an external support system and, and nobody really knew what was going on. And so what was your relationship with your mom or your family? And, and what was it like to transition out of living with him? So I'm really close with my mom and I have been, and she has her own journey of kind of dealing with similar things in her marriage. Of course, not exactly the same, but I think it was generational patterns in a way. So she knew that things were bad. And we actually had some code words, that, like if I was going to call her and say the certain thing, she'd call 911 because I was afraid to call 911 just because of things he'd said in the past of like, it'll take him five or 10 minutes to get here and I'll make that, you know, worthwhile. But he didn't say it exactly to me. It was like that was his dad saying it to him. So it wasn't exactly a threat, but it was enough of a threat that I understood it. Right. So um, she knew about these things, but wasn't able to tell me that that wasn't the right thing to be involved in. But I had a support system to go to because I was able to move in with her and surround myself with that support and a loving environment and a safe environment to come to when I did leave. So I knew that I had a place to go. Yeah. Good. Friends didn't know though. Well, I had some friends that just because of the way that my husband was that were just like, well we don't want to hang out with him. We'll hang out with you, but we don't want to hang out with him. So I'd kind of lost all of my support network over the years that I was with them in terms of friends and friendships. Yeah. And I know that you experienced depression after all of that. Was it immediate? Was it gradual? It was. So I kind of, I jumped out of the relationship and I jumped into a new one because I thought, it was kind of like the desperate love thing. It was right. like desperate love found me because I wanted desperate love. So I had a hot and heavy quick thing that kind of, it was like we'd see shooting stars every time that we were together. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is meant to be. And then it ended like the shooting star. And I was left like, oh my God, that's, now I have to face what I didn't face with my husband and all these feelings. And I just started to feel everything that I hadn't, that I'd like shoved under the rug from before. So it was like a season of depression. I, I wasn't, I call it depression because I remember dropping my child off at preschool and coming home and just laying in bed until it was time and crying and doing that for a couple months and just picking him up from school and then trying to make the best of the rest of the day. And I didn't work. I just felt kind of everything. It was, it was a couple months of that. So that was in the fall. Yeah. So it was May and then kind of the summer was pretty, well, it, it, it was fun in some ways and it was hell in others. It was kind of both at the same time because that's when the worst thing happened was during the summer and then kind of the depression after that. Yeah. And was that a conscious choice as in, in my work in journey mapping, we talk a lot about how important feeling our feelings are, especially the old stuff that you had, like you said, you had stuffed down for so long. Was it a conscious choice? And 
the jumping into another relationship after a bad one is something that so many of us do. I know I have certainly done it as well. And it can be very easy to keep rebounding yeah, after yeah. like the first one ends. So was it a conscious choice for you or is it just something that you kind of fell into to feel your feelings for that season? So when the guy left, the the shooting star guy, when he just kind of walked out and was like, I, I was just, I was shocked and stunned. But it was a wake up call to me. I was aware enough to be like, I'm going to continue this pattern and the dude's going to have different hair color, different height, different ethnicity, whatever, but it's going to be the same pattern because it's me who's attracting this. And so I wanted to get myself better. So it was very intentional. And then I kept feeling the pressure outside to like, you need to work. I need to find a job. I got to do things productive in the world. And my mom was really supportive and said, no, you need to take care of yourself. So she really gave me the, the support network to say, it's okay. I was, I also found um, volunteering and that was, I was volunteering as a podcast producer which really seemed like work at the time. So it was kind of my graduate school because I was able to talk to spiritual leaders and different people, whatever I wanted to talk about and dig into these books and these experts in all these different areas. So I was learning a lot at the same time, but just really wanting to clear out what I could so that I could create a better life. Because I knew after that rock bottom moment, I knew that I had to change. Yeah. 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 Something we talk a lot about as well is this idea of reorienting. So you've gone through, you've left this relationship that has been such a huge part of your life and has really left its mark on you. And you went out with Shooting Star Guy. I love that. And then (laughs) you had this season of really feeling and beginning to heal. And I would love if you could share what your experience was of reorienting to yourself, like you're still in the middle of your life. You're still raising your son. And yes, you were able to take a pause, which is so wonderful and so beautiful. But what was it like to get to know who you were outside of that relationship? It was a dance. It was crazy because I felt like I was this amazing entrepreneurial spirit and yet I have no income. And so it's like I have worth and I don't have worth. It was, it was almost a juxtaposition constantly of what I wanted to believe about myself or what I, you know, it's like you're following your path and you're doing really great things. And it's like, then you have the evidence on both sides. So what I'm becoming and what I was, were just at odds with, with each other. So, um, it was a real challenge and I just tried to allow myself the space to not be a particular label. And it, cause I was drawing these labels and trying to get them off of myself. The worst experience that I had that real rock bottom was in July. And my son was basically taken away by CPS and given to his dad for a weekend because of a misunderstanding. And I wasn't able to stand in my truth fully. And I was just like, tell me what happened because I'm so crazy and I have to know. And I was so off base that I wasn't able to to tell the authorities what really happened. So he was able to manipulate them. And as we're walking out of the hospital and he's got this custody for the, that particular weekend, he said, I'm sorry. It was like the first time he'd ever said, I'm sorry, because of how he'd portrayed me to the authorities. And I was like, I'm sorry. So I just broke down. Like that moment was, 
I'm going to lose my son if I don't change myself because, and that's like, that, that was the number one fear I'd had was losing my son. And so I did for a weekend and it was just, it was the worst experience. I was wearing white and in prayer the whole time, just like, it's going to be okay. It's, you know, just there's light, there's light, there's light. The truth will come out. The truth will come out. And it did. And it did. And it was super hard. What had happened before is that my son hadn't been sleeping for about three weeks. So that means I hadn't been sleeping for about three weeks. And I'd set up a crib for him. He'd tried to climb out of it because he was big. He was too big for the crib. So he's like hanging off the edge of it. And he ended up with these bruises. And, you know, like, where, do, where are these from? Well, I knew where they were from and they were from my house and he was able to twist it into a different story or not believe me or not support me. And that betrayal was like, oh my God, like I can't allow that anymore. I have to find out where I stand. So that was the catalyst because I was like, that was my death moment. That was the life cannot continue. I cannot continue being who I am. I have to figure out where my truth is. Yeah. So I was willing to do whatever it took to get yeah. yeah. And what did it look like? What did you do from there? So what I did from there was I started finding things that I loved or trying things that I thought were interesting. I started to make friends. I went line dancing every single Wednesday and <laughs> met some new people that didn't know the old story and the old me. And I kind of, I call myself Lindsay 2.0. It was like the next version of me. So I could you know, they didn't know the history. So I could be who I wanted to be. And it was, it was liberating. It was really great in a lot of ways. And again, it was challenging because there were those, those old patterns and ideas. So, um, it was a lot of journaling. It was a lot of trying to be really present with my son and just being in the moment. So learning how to be in the moment. And I was meditating as well. So even if I was really, really bad at it, where I couldn't sit still for 10 minutes, at least I tried for 10 minutes and then 12 minutes. And then suddenly the, not suddenly, but over time, the amount of thoughts just racing through my head just started to quiet a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, just with a lot of practice. Yeah. I love that you shared that. I know in in my own journey of rising up and coming back and and really making the choice to heal and step into what was next, it was a lot of failing, quote unquote failing at the things that I knew I needed to do. And and every day it felt like all of these endless choices of get out of bed, shower and get dressed, go to the gym, even if you're going to cry in the parking lot for 15 minutes and <laughs> not do much and then go home and cry. And, and so I love that you shared that because it's not like when we hear other people share their stories, it can feel very much like, oh, you just like decided to get better. And so you started meditating and like went out line dancing and, and yes, you do those things, but there's this level of internal resistance that we have to overcome. Yeah. And for that season in November, December, I was dropping my kiddo off at preschool to give myself three hours to come home and nap and cry to pick him up and try to just make dinner. And I mean, it was very simple or sometimes I just needed a distraction from my own thoughts. And I was like, I just needed to go shopping and just browse. Like I didn't necessarily buy anything, but just a distraction or a walk or whatever it was, something to get me into a better mental space. So there was a lot of different things. 
Yeah. And speaking of money, where did the bankruptcy come into play? What happened is it's kind of like, as soon as I got my footing, something else kind of came in and then took me down. So it's like, as soon as I started to really feel better, my son was diagnosed with autism. And then one exact year from the day from, so it was mother's day of the next year that I tried to make a purchase and I had no money in my account because the creditors had come and and taken it. And I was like, I have to get my money under control. And it was, again, it was another thing that I knew was coming just because of how I managed my money with him. I knew that there was things that need to be dealt with that we weren't able to manage together. So that came in exactly one year from the day that I'm done day. So it was a year. It was a year. It's kind of like 2020 now. It's just like all this. <laughs> as soon as you feel like you got like you got some kind of footing, it's like whoo, like yeah. Oh my goodness. So I know that I can make it through a lot because I have. So I think that gives me a, a good base for now making it through these times. It's like if I I really have found how to find some kind of certainty, inner peace inner peace. Cause that was, well, I guess because what I had when I left was a vision for what I wanted. I had a goal and my goal seemed totally unachievable. So when I, when I first left and I went to my mom's, I wanted to know inner peace. And that didn't mean inner peace with no storms and no rain. It meant inner peace in the middle of the craziness that happens in life. And so every time I would have one of those choices to make, I would think, which choice is going to make me feel the way that I want to feel? And then I'd try my best to choose that. So I was just way more present to my thoughts, my emotions, the choices I was making, the words I was saying, and really intentional with it. But I think, I think having that guide was, was huge because it just, it was such a big goal too. I'm like, I want to know joy. I didn't even know when I left, (laughs) I didn't even know joy existed back then. It was like, where, where does that seems to live somewhere that other people have? Like, I don't think I can get it, but I want to go in that direction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that so much. We talk a lot about doing impossible things. And when you're healing and doing that work to come back after everything feels impossible, even something that to people who are feeling whole and healthy and happy seems so simple, like joy, like course there's joy and of course there's peace but when you're really in it it feels so far away and you really modeled in sharing that this idea that we have to shift our way of being in the world and it's it's a lot of doing things differently but stemming that doing from what it is that we want like really embodying what you want and was there anything in particular that prompted you to do that or was it just kind of an instinctual response I've had a strong faith, um, spirituality practices for a long time. So I think my understanding of that was probably what drove it. I also am personally driven by big goals. You know, when I saw these people walking 60 miles and raising (laughs) millions of dollars, it's like impossible things are possible. And that was like the messaging. So I've always found that to be very motivating for myself. So maybe that's where some of the things where it came from, but I definitely now looking back, it's like having that huge goal was way more impactful than just having a tiny goal. I mean, sometimes it did come down to let me just make it through the day. And if I'm going to cry before I go into this grocery store, just because who knows what happened, and I don't know what just set me off, but just because I feel like, you know, I'll just go in with the red and the puffy (laughs) and just do the best I can. 
and that's, that's like the tiny steps that take you to the huge goal, which, you know, it all seems paradoxical, but that's kind of how life shows up. So absolutely. How, what was the time frame from making the decision to, I'm going to start acting and doing and being in these ways, because this is what I want until it became more integrated and, and part of your day to day life? It took a while. Yeah, it took a while. It, it was, it was like a constant practice and practice and practice where it took a lot of effort at the beginning. And I think I noticed that I had joy a couple years later. Like it literally took a few years before I was like, I have felt good for like, and I think I remember calling my mom, like, I think I felt good without having to like, think about feeling good for like a week now, like all in a row, like, I think it's becoming more of a natural response, right? I don't have to intentionally change my thoughts. So I, it took a few years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so how did all of this, all of these experiences, and, and I would actually, let's take a step back. I would love to hear a bit more about how the autism diagnosis really affected you and your life. Yeah, that was interesting. I think because I'd been through so much already by the time I hit the diagnosis, it was in April of 2013. So almost a year after leaving, but a diagnosis is strange. You know, you go down a hallway, you spend three hours with a couple therapists and doctors and they tell you your kiddo has something that is supposedly lifelong and cannot change. And you're like, well, that just shattered every expectation I had. And that idea of perfection and the, you know, perfect child and all of those things. So again, you have this dichotomy of, I love my child and that hasn't changed, but like everything about what I thought this journey of parenthood would be is now gone. But again, I made a conscious choice within about three days of allowing myself to grieve the idea and that expectation that I had to shifting it and figuring out like, well, what do I want to be possible for him? You know, and I was very intentional about that. And again, I went for like the huge goal and I was like optimal outcome. I want him to be able to learn all of the things that are hard for him. And if that is the social stuff, then that's what we're going to focus on. And if that is connecting with people, having conversations, that's my number one goal. So we'll have therapy. I didn't anticipate that. We will have, you know, this diagnosis and I didn't anticipate that, but it's just a label. He's not a label. There is a label. I'm going to use it to my advantage, but I'm not going to be defined or limited by it. And some people get stuck because experts tell us a prognosis of what will happen. And because of my faith, I was just like, God does not put any more on us than, you know, like this is our journey. I accept it. And then I can walk through it. If I don't accept it, I can't walk through it. But if I do, I don't love it. <laughs> it's hard, but I'm going to have that view that like anything is possible and I'm going to head in that direction. Yeah. And faith is such a powerful thing. Whatever your beliefs are, I have found that there are a lot of people who only have faith when things are going right. Like they think because they've been they've, they've followed the rules of their religion or they prayed or they've been a good person that nothing bad should happen to them. And so I love that despite everything that you went through and are going through, like your faith was still such a pillar for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then dignity became huge. It's like, I need to deal with him with dignity because he sees the world differently and he's not going to be understood as well. 
And I know how that feels. I know how it feels to have the person who's supposed to be your rock and someone that you can trust not be there for you and tell you that you're wrong all the time. So any kind of methods that are in terms of like just changing behavior without understanding the why somebody is, you know, why a child is doing this, I want to understand what his purpose is in doing it and then try to figure out kind of how to, how, how to get into his world and draw him out. So that was my, you know, my thought to do that in a loving way and in a supportive way rather than just, I didn't want him to get at those messages that you're wrong all the time or in school that you're weird. And, you know, I just, I knew that emotional damage. So I think that's why I'm so passionate right now about talking to parents, honoring their journey of this is so hard because it is parenting just in general is so hard. (laughs) And (laughs) there is still peace underneath all of those challenges. When, when you center, when you go deep in your soul, there is calm peace in your soul and you can, you know, you can find that. And sometimes it just takes breathing a lot (laughs) in the middle of those challenges. (laughs) But what I wanted to make sure is that like for me personally, is that somebody else wasn't in control of my joy. I wanted to take that power back and be like, you can do whatever you need to do and feel however you need to feel. And I think that's what allows me to, to stand, you know, be in a grocery store, have my kid going loud as can be having issues, problems, overwhelm, whatever. And I don't care what anyone else is thinking. I'm just present with him, taking care of his needs because he's my priority right then, not making sure that the world is okay with how I'm managing anything. You know, I'm going to try to create that safe space. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's fairly obvious to see how all of this has shaped you and your work in the world and your contributions, but tell us what that journey was like for yourself. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. So I thought I wrote out my story and I really thought I was going to come out with my own personal journey of all this stuff and, and how I was basically shattered into peace and, you know, not into pieces, but into peace. And I wrote the book and I tried to get it out and it just, it kind of kept coming up with blocks and it was really, really interesting. Cause I'm like, what is going on? How come this isn't working? Right. And this other book kind of showed up and it's all these lighter messages. It's, it's more joyful. It's, it's a feeling of not being stuck and being lighter. And then thinking about who I want to serve as my audience is, you know, these other parents and these people who are having a lot of challenges to help them see a little bit differently. Cause I think that's one thing that I just innately had is like this way of looking at things kind of in that dichotomy. So I've, I've just tried to figure out how I can serve others the best. So I think surface is huge. You know, what can you give the world? And when you figure out, um, you know, sometimes things that are easy for you are not easy for others. So when you can give some of that, even when I was first healing, it's like I was able to have this, this job. It wasn't a job. It was a volunteer job, but it was still a consistent job where I spent about five hours a week doing it. And when I was able to give that, I felt a value. You know, I felt like I was giving to the world. So if it's volunteering, if it's doing something that you love, but when you help others, it really does give back to you. Definitely. Absolutely. What is something you would share with anyone going through a challenging chapter or big life transition around finding, cultivating, or building their sense of self-worth? 
the number one thing for me, I remember the moment I went um, to an evening for empowered women and I didn't feel like an empowered woman, but I'm like, if they don't kick me out, I'll be fine. Like I'll just <laughs> sit in the back in the corner. It was a women's group at my church and, and the leader was talking about dignity. She defined dignity for me that night as your innate state of being worthy. And she had more things to say about dignity, but I was like, wait, stop. Can you say that again? <laughs> your innate state of being worthy, your dignity, you, you are dignified. You have dignity just as you are and for all that you are not. And I think for me, that was life-changing because up until that point, I was trying, trying so hard to achieve love, this idea of perfection. And it's like when I stopped trying to be perfect and when I just listened to that inner voice, that led me down the path. And then it was like breadcrumbs, little tiny pieces. But just know, even if you don't do anything, there's a season that I didn't do anything. There's been seasons that I have done a lot of things. It's a dance. Sometimes you're over here, you know, but when you have that goal, no obstacle stays in your way. You're able to kind of dance around them. So yeah. Yeah, that dignity. Dignity, that was huge. That and guilt, when she said, <laughs> when my therapist was like, that's not what guilt is for. Like, you don't need to be feel guilty for it not working out. Like, that's not what it's for. So there's a couple times where something just got redefined for me. It was really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Something that we also talk a lot about on the show and in journey mapping is mentors. Not yeah. only external mentors, but also our own internal mentors. But it sounds like, so you had the, this women's group that you went to at least once yeah. and you mentioned yeah. therapists, like what was the role of mentors in your journey? So my minister was the one who had the podcast and I was his podcast producer. He was one of my main mentors. So just having that consistent, someone just that believes in you, believes in your worth, tells you that you're able and capable. And then yeah, I had a, another mentor with Anita who ran the, the women's group as well. So definitely it was important to have people, you know, stand behind you and stand up for you. And my mom as well, just being that support system. So yeah, definitely important to have, to, to have some people around you that are showing you, you know, some really good feedback, especially when you've been in a place that has been just defeating and like, I think what happened in my marriage too is like, he just, he said all of the things that I believed like were unworthy about myself. So, you know, if he would have called me dumb. I wouldn't have believed it, but he said, you can do this and you can, I was like, yeah, I can, I'm responsible and capable. I can change. I can do this. So he just, you know, I, I believed that I could do all the things, but then it just, it's like life doesn't work that way. Joy, it wants to emerge from you, right? There's, there's a reason that we're not feeling good. It's because it's okay not to feel good, right? When the situation doesn't serve you, it's okay not to feel good. And I think we think we're supposed to feel good all the time. So honor all the feelings and for sure. <laughs> yeah. Aim, aim like more in the direction that you want to go, like be really intentional about it. Yeah. Uh, if you could go back to 22 year old you, what is one thing you would love to tell her? Oh, <laughs> you don't have to follow the prescribed path. Like you can blaze your own, you know, but, and also like, listen to the whispers. Like they know what they're talking about. <laughs> they know. 
Yeah. If you have an inner knowing, I would, I would so say to anyone, like <laughs> follow that. Yes. Even if it seems like completely, like you don't even know where it's going to take you, but there's something and we're not, we're not taught to, to follow that voice or to follow that knowing or that sense. It's like, we have, we have a lot of knowledge that just has been kind of pushed aside, not valued, but those messages are very important. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. We're going to link to all of your amazingness in the show notes, but please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can grab your book and how they can learn from you. Well, my books, I'm at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anything like that, but it's also at lindsaynicole.co. It's .co, not .com. (laughs) Um, .com is a different person. .co. And um, I also have a 10 keys to joy um, freebie there. So if you want to get that, it's just 10 little reminders like breathing, going outside, being in nature, just one sheet you can put up and just remind yourself of simple things of how to reconnect with joy in any moment. I love that. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a great time to be with you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.